I can actually tell you exactly. So with eight templates and two databases and just 10 tools and 10 use cases, you can produce 735 posts. And that nice. would take you 25 and a half hours for filling in the databases and for editing the content that has been produced. This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs, who I'm so proud to have as the very first sponsor of this podcast. I use their product literally 10 times a day for keyword research, backlink building, and tracking my content as it moves up the rankings. If you're interested, you can check them out for free. Just Google Ahrefs Webmaster Tools to find a suite of free tools for auditing your site, analyzing backlinks, and discovering new keywords. It's genuinely worth checking out. It's an absolutely dope SEO tool, and they support creators like me to keep doing shit like this for free. They're such an awesome company. Okay, enough. On to the episode. It took user pilot three years to get to its first 25,000 in monthly organic visitors and just 10 months to get to the next 100,000. That's triple the growth rate. If you're wondering how on earth they did that, well, in short, one, they learned how to build an efficient content operation, which helped them scale from four monthly blogs to 40. Two, they leveraged programmatic SEO to scale this production even further, building out the capability to create 29 long-form blog posts in just one hour, all without a drop in quality. This week, I'm talking to UserPilot's head of marketing, Emilia Kozinska, to hear her story. It wasn't an easy journey. They made mistakes along the way, but from that challenge was born an efficient operation. If you haven't already, come over to thefuck.com, that's T-H-F-X-C-K.com, and join our premium community where this week I have completely deep-dived programmatic SEO, exactly how UserPilot does it, and included screenshots, templates, and examples that you can use to scale your SEO efforts exponentially yourself and put your company's name on the map. Hi, Emilia. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you, Ben? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So we can just jump right into it. Like You've grown the UserPilot traffic from 25K to 100K organic visitors in 10 months. That's pretty wild. Congratulations. When you joined the company, was SEO part of their, their growth plans already? Or was that something that you bought the, that's my specialty, I'm going to focus on this area? Well, yes, it was part of our efforts. But when I joined, I kind of joined as a general marketing manager. My background was in content marketing, so kind of light SEO, not the mm -hmm. hardcore technical SEO stuff. But essentially, I joined and I was hired to do a bit of everything myself. So I was the one woman show at this point for around nice. a year, which was quite challenging. And, um, you know, as it is at the beginning, we were testing a lot of things and throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And yeah, obviously we we're spreading ourselves very thinly. And that's probably why it took a bit longer than it should have to, you know, actually ramp the things up in content. But we did hire a fractional VP of marketing at some point, or you could call him an advisor. And he sort of pointed out the obvious to us that 75, 80% of our leads come from the organic channel from our blog specifically. And we were at that point investing so little effort into it. So we were like literally just publishing one blog post per week tops. So 
Yeah. Compared yeah. to all the other things that we were doing, like running webinars, you know, going to podcasts, trying to distribute content and like respond to Quora questions and stuff like that. Yeah, we were investing in proportionately small amount of effort into something that was actually the only thing that was consistently bringing us leads. Okay, cool. I feel like that experience resonates with me so much being like the mm. first marketer and like you think you want to do everything, you want to test everything, you want to, and it, it can be good to do that full experiment. But then when it comes to it, you kind of spread yourself thin, you can have a burnout, you can yeah, not fully realize where your, your actual good leads are coming from. So then you double down on SEO after realizing this is where it's working for us. Yeah, yeah. We decided to pretty much 10x our content output at that time. So to go from like four blog posts per month to 40 which required us to, to hire more people. And initially, because our platform was pretty complex, I thought that, you know, we had pretty bad experience with both agencies and freelancers who just didn't get the product, didn't get the target audience and produced content that wasn't the highest quality, maybe. So we decided to hire people in-house. Yeah. So free full-time content writers to write these 40 blog posts per month. And that was kind of a double-edged sword, really. So it didn't work out initially after three months. I think three, oh, initially we wanted to hire four, I guess, and three out of four um, quit um, within the first three months. But the one that remained, the survivor, <laughs> then, you know, actually graduated to become our head of content now. So, you know, I have Thanks. to give her all the credit for doing all the heavy lifting with actually executing the strategy that, you know, I spent the whole last year working on. So yeah, after the initial kind of misfortune with the content writers, I decided to go back. Well, I had to go back to the drawing board and I spent like a good one, two weeks just talking to content managers in both in agencies and in-house and other SaaS companies figuring out what they were doing and how they were running their content departments to scale things. And, you know, sort of Frankenstein a new workflow together. I had this epiphany one, one night and just decided to break our content plan up into epics. So pretty much like content clusters and organize the keywords in these clusters and then divide the workload between editors which is still something that we're following to this day. We're producing new original content. Uh, we're having mm. content editors produce one brief and one piece of content based on, you know, the previous week's brief. I mean, edit a piece of content that was produced by freelance writers every day. So that amounts to 20 blog posts per editor per month. So we needed two full-time editors to... You know, carry the workload of 40 blog posts per month. Initially, it was me and Adina, our head of content currently. So we were the lab rats for a good part of, you know, the second year of user pilots, of my adventure with user pilot. <laughs> and then after we saw that this is actually working, we decided to outsource it and hire basically full-time content editors to replace us. So oh, okay. I could, yeah, she could go into, you know, being a full-time head of content, 
working on the strategy and content plans. And I could focus on building up the whole marketing department, which is now 12 people strong. So, yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. Okay, so you really had to go through the motions of like doing this yourself and then figuring out how to scale it and learning from other people how they do it. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. For, I mean, 40 blog posts a month is no easy. Easy. Mm. Yeah. So that's cool. You had two editors and originally had three writers. I think I would love to like dig into that, the process of how you scaled it and all those little elements. But before we go into that, how did you know what topics to go after? So you broke it up into like epics, big clusters of topics that you kind of go after at one, at one time. How did you choose those points? Like, how did you align that with the business and that kind of thing? Yeah, so kind of we went for the pain point SEO strategy. So essentially, we focused on the pain points that our product is solving for our customers. So we looked at the different areas of the product, as I said, as a platform that kind of covers all the bases for, for product managers from user onboarding, product adoption, retention, to actually collecting user feedback, user discovery, and ultimately analyzing user behavior. So yeah. product analytics. So essentially we focus mostly on these like bottom to mid funnel keywords, also covering all the tools, including our competitors and complementary tools that our target audience might be interested in. And then going a bit up funnel and in a few remaining epics. So just building a few clusters around the topics that might be related to the role itself. Yeah, anything that a product manager, product growth manager, product marketing manager could be interested in reading from, you know, the distinctions between the different roles to anything related to professional development in these roles. So we developed 10 clusters like that, roughly. And that meant that with 10 clusters, um, we could produce two blog posts per day, right? So it's scaled nicely because that is the workload that you need literally these two content editors for. And then we decided to avoid this single point of failure with having one writer, you know, cover several content clusters. And then once they go on holiday or drop out for whatever reason, you're left with a gap of, you know, 30% of your content suddenly not having anyone to, to like cover it. So we mm. decided to sign ideally one writer to each epic. Now we have a few like trusted writers that cover maybe two or three topics or two or three blog posts per week, but that's an exception rather than the rule we're generally trying to avoid the single point of failure. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's one of the things we've worked with like a freelance agency to do this, like scaling mm. and we hand over the topics and the keywords and the briefs and they figure out the writers and how right. to scale to scale the quality writer part. Right. And it just, I'm so impressed with them. I think it's impressive that you've figured it out as well. It's the funnel of writers that they have that comes down to like the few that they keep every mm. time. It's really impressive. So I think I wanted to ask you, I guess, what was your technique? So you've aligned, you've aligned all these topics with, with your, with the pain points of your users and things, which makes a lot of sense. Obviously you want to bring in an audience with a similar pain point that you solve. What's your technique there? Like what's your kind of philosophy on like pushing them to your product? Is it like a hands-off? Like we're just building awareness. Do you use screenshots? Are you just advertising your product somewhere on the page? How do you approach the actual content that gets written? Well, all of the above. So we're trying to 
plug the product, you know, of course, naturally, but as much as possible. So essentially, each post needs to have a so-called monetization logic. So there needs to be a connection between the product and the topic that is being covered. And because we're a platform with so many different use cases, it's pretty easy to plug the product in naturally. So, you know, the editors just need to be a bit creative with their use cases because essentially use the pilot allows you to build in-app content, right? Um, in-app experiences with in-app content without coding. So you can create microsurveys with it. You can create, you know, flows or checklists. So it can be used for a lot of different things. So whenever we're mentioning anything related to, you know, from collecting feedback to NPS to, you know, any in-app experiences or how to guide your users to discover more features, like we can show how to do this with user pilot. And I think most people actually appreciate that because they can see, you know, not only how to resolve the problem, but also they get like an actionable direction, which tool or tools they can use. I think we try to be as unbiased in our reviews of other tools because I think like there are actually very few direct competitors when you look at it. I even wrote a post myself user pilot alternatives a while ago, which are basically broke down that well, there are no like direct one-to-one sort of alternatives and you need to pick your battles because each of these tools are actually quite significantly different and they either cater to a different audience or they have very different features. So yeah, it may appear they're very similar, but they're not quite. So yeah, I would say we do plug the product a lot, but I like to believe that it's not a natural. Yeah, makes sense. I think it's, it's so hard to do, especially like competitor comparisons, because obviously mm. you're obviously you're biased to your own product. But I think the reader knows that as well. I think they probably appreciate if you can just point out and differentiate and show that other tools do have value as well. It's not like not a totally biased approach kind of thing. And you push people to a demo, right? Is it like, what's your like sales cycle? It's not like a free trial sign up for the user pilot, is it? We do have both. So you can choose. Yeah, we historically have been pushing more people towards the demo because we feel like it's a complex platform and maybe people would like to see all the different facets of it before going into the dashboard themselves and maybe getting a little overwhelmed. But over time, we noticed that, well, actually a lot of people are just happy to go in, explore it on their own and then upgrade without any human interaction. So... Yeah, we point to both. Maybe, as I said, due to the historical bias of us not having the trial initially, we have more CTAs pointing to the demo. But yeah, there are these two routes. So it really depends on the company. If they feel like they want to get a demo, they can. If they want to explore on their own, they can as well. Okay, cool. That makes sense. I guess it's it's a little harder to make product-led content if they have to go through a, a long sales cycle as well to actually use it, I think. I don't know if you know what I mean, but in terms of like... Hello, lovely listener. I just wanted to interrupt this episode. Very annoying, I know. To plug something I actually think could be a lot of value to you. And that's the premium membership of How the Fuck. It's $8 per month. And what do you get? Well, apart from a lot of radiant love from me, 
well, every every listener's getting that anyway. You can expect the highlights of every episode of the podcast. I'll also explain extra bits, point out things like common pitfalls of following the strategies you hear on the podcast. Um, I also share templates, like recently I shared a 100-point checklist for updating your older content and frameworks for things like how to create conversion-focused blog posts. You can check out the content that's already there at the How The Fuck website under the premium filter. And uh, yeah, just do it, you know, see what you think. I hope you're enjoying this episode, by the way. It's freaking great, isn't it? Anyway, back to the guest. I wanted to dive again back into that, like the operation side of things. What do you think is like the biggest mistake you made in the past? on that and I think also next question like your secret source basically the thing that has helped this be a successful program for you yeah so first of all relying on individual skills rather than systems and processes that Mm. was the the biggest mistake so I was trying to find the perfect in-house content writers rather than creating processes for creating briefs at scale And, you know, having a role in the company that safeguards quality, but that is at the same time more transactional and replaceable. And I know it may sound harsh, but that's the ideal that if someone (laughs) touch wood just falls under the bus, right? Like the show doesn't stop for your company and you can still continue producing successful content. Mm. And so that was my biggest mistake. And the writers were the first bottleneck. And then a few months down the road, we discovered that the editors are also a bottleneck, right? So we're now exploring programmatic SEO, not to... I was going to ask that. Yeah, with AI content, that's not the same thing. To, you know, even eliminate this role, even further, at least for part of our content. Okay, cool. Okay, well, first question I want to ask, how do you create briefs at scale then? Because we have these epics and we have, well, quite a lot of experience now. We have created brief templates, actually. And there are, of course, SOPs for the content editors, how to create these briefs. So we were even able to hire freelance content editors that just do like one or two briefs per week. And yeah, like the templates are kind of, post-type specific and epic specific. So for a specific epic content cluster, there are certain fixed elements in the briefs like a link repository or, you know, image swipe file that is you know, sort of related to a particular category of posts. And yeah, so I think that helps a lot, but there is still this component of you know, creating a good outline, including only the relevant information. So being selective and also providing added value. So not doing just like the dumpster diving of going into the top serps and scraping the content from there and Frankensteining it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but also being mindful of your audience, your product, your particular industry, and how can you add more value on top of what is already in service? So I think people have misunderstood this kind of scraper technique in the past. They thought that it's all about like just adding more content rather than adding more value. Yeah. I think people did at some point, everyone just understood that to be as long as you write every exactly what everyone else wrote, but in one article. Yeah. And- more and more yeah 
Yeah. Ryan Law from Animals got a good podcast on that topic. And it's just mm. like, what are we going to keep doing? Just going more and more and more and more until what happened? The future is not that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I love what you said there. Like the quality of the briefs that you give to your writers, like everything really. And being able to actually scale that and create a template, it's like super valuable. Would you be able to potentially share the template for your briefs? Or is that like an asset that you... I could, but I don't think it would be very relevant to anyone else because, as I said, they are like subject specific. So, okay, some fixed elements like introduction or, you know, insert the links or here and there that would, but it's not like a generic. I think I might have a generic outline someone my Patreon account, actually, like something that has been sort of standardized. But yeah, it's not rocket science. It's something that... It's very common sense. Yeah. I think there's plenty of like brief templates online, but you tailor them specifically to like the swipe file, like you said, like stuff on this topic that's really important. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've seen you talk a lot about programmatic SEO on on LinkedIn, which is very cool. Like I've done it a little bit, maybe a year ago. Would you mind just explaining what that is to people and then how are you doing it and how are you, you using that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so programmatic SEO is basically building content at scale. So creating content at scale from, for instance, templates, typically it's content that follows certain pattern, right? So you have some variation of a formulaic keyword, right, with a variable that is interchangeable. So for example, competitor alternatives or competitor one versus competitor two or best tools for use case, right? Or competitor for use case, right? And these are the types of content, the types of keywords that follow a very, very fixed specific pattern. And thus they lend themselves into developing these templates for programmatic SEO. And how you develop these templates is really up to you. You can, you know, use a programming language to do that, but you don't actually have to. So there are a lot of no-code ways to build programmatic pages. You can use Webflow. You can use a combination of, say, Google Sheets or Excel spreadsheets and WordPress plugins that just import a CSV file into... The code editor of your blogs. You can use merge mail, so merge fields with again pages. And yeah, but what, what all these methods have in common is that you need a database where you store information about the different variables that you're swapping in the templates. Right. So, for instance, obviously to develop content about different tools, you need a tools database. So you need a list of all the tools that you want to compare against each other. And then you need a list of different criteria that are meaningful to you, to your audience, and that you'll be like comparing the, the tools against. So once you have that, you can basically combine the criteria into a content piece outline. Right. So the criteria will be just like the different elements that you have in your post outline, like say competitor one, general description, top feature one, top use case, competitor one, positive reviews, negative reviews, 
um, the same for competitor two, competitor three, depending on, you know, how many you want to compare. Yeah. And then you just combine the keywords. And yeah, that, that's actually the key to why our programmatic SEO is so appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Because like you have endless combinations of keywords if you have just a few variables. So I was actually, this week I was working on a little forecast how many, you know, blog posts we can produce from the templates that we have already created and the templates that we have in the pipeline. And it goes into thousands with just, you know, 20 variables in our case, because we are a pretty niche tool. So we don't have that many competitors. Uh, We do have quite a lot of use cases, as I said, which makes it even more scalable. Because then when you combine all the use cases with all the competitors into these, you know, long-tailed zero search volume keywords, you suddenly have a lot of content to to create. Wow. So this is like without creating, with the database you've already got and written, you can create all of these like thousand pages without writing like another word, basically. Just by yeah. matching things together in different ways and creating the page. I can actually tell you exactly. So with eight templates and two databases and just 10 variables in each of the databases, so 10 tools and 10 use cases, you can produce 735 posts. And that would take you 25 and a half hours for filling in the databases and for editing the content that has been produced, which is like very light editing. It's maybe half an hour tops so i accounted for that so that's already 28 almost 29 posts per hour like obviously yeah you couldn't do that yeah (laughs) if you did it by hand but then when you get to 20 variables so 20 use cases and 20 tools in your databases you're already at 5359 posts from 50 hours so that's 107 posts per hour so as you can see, it scales exponentially, Ashley. What's the, I mean, could you give us an example of like one variable and one use case and like how they, how they go together kind of thing? Yeah. So variable is a tool, for instance, user pilot and a use case is user onboarding. So that keyword could be user pilot for user onboarding. And then you just swap user pilot for all the competitors that you have, AppQs for user onboarding, Pendo for user onboarding, Chameleon for user onboarding. And then you swap user onboarding for another use case like product analytics. And again, you have user pilot for product analytics, app keys for product analytics, pendo for product analytics, and you see where it goes, right? But now when you, for instance, add three variables, it just, you know, it's just pure math. You can actually use uh, combinations without repetition formula to calculate. This is what I did essentially in my forecast to calculate how many posts you can generate from each template because with three variables the number of opportunities grows exponentially yeah quite it's crazy and you're creating like a landing page from that or it's like a blog post that kind of details how this is actually a blog post yeah so we have longer descriptions of the tools for each use case and then we're just like reshuffling them and combining them together that's amazing okay so are you also doing it so like when you have the keywords best product analytics tools, it would just pull in from the database, like everyone's product analytics. Because in the tools, we list which tools are best for what. 
So we list the use cases that are relevant for the tools. And yeah, we can then pick basically the tools from the tools database for the specific use case. It's very cool. I think if people ever wondered why G2 are in the searches for every single software search, this is kind of what they do, isn't it? I mean, presumably, yeah. And they'll get the user to generate the content as well. So it's like very smart. So you upload your tool, you tag it in five categories, and then they instantly put you in a list of categories. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they do it probably using Python or something else to combine the... That's a great thing. This is so accessible. If you you do Webflow, there's like a whole article I've read before on like Webflow for programmatic. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually on WordPress, so we have to use spreadsheets for that, but it's also not very difficult because the world to kind of figure it out, but now it's becoming more and more scalable, as I said. That's so cool. Okay. I know we're coming close to the end of our time. So I, I guess I wanted to ask you a few more final questions. First one, I guess, is what one thing have you done that's had the best impact on like revenue growth and traffic growth? Oh gosh, I think there is no secret source, at least like we're so many different variables. I can't like tease them out and point to one particular factor. I would say consistency and patience yeah. is their thing. So, you know, it took us a, a long time to figure out the most scalable process to make it work. It's still sometimes not working. Like people still let you down sometimes and um, it just happens. Yeah. But you need to dust yourself off and just kind mm-hmm. of press on. And if that happens, what else? Like we've implemented a lot of small improvement, like adding more internal links, making sure we name images correctly in all our content pieces, putting in links to software pages and solutions pages in the introduction, making sure our link profile is correct. And there were a lot of small incremental improvements and we're still implementing more adding CGA forms. There's there's a whole bunch, right? But I would say, again, consistency is the most important thing. So Mm. are you... Are you actively like backlink building as well? No, not anymore. We were initially, but once you hit domain rating of 70, 70 plus, building more links just brings as diminishing returns, you know. So we actually ran a small experiment in-house where we looked if, you know, building a bunch of links to an underperforming page would move the needle in terms of its position in search. And it only would if there were like literally no links or almost no links pointing to that page. But any page that already had a bunch of links pointing to it wouldn't really budge in SERPs if you build several more links. So it just felt expensive and time consuming. So we just decided to focus on producing more valuable content, distributing it with very low effort, and then like let the links accrue organically. Plus, of course, we have partnerships and we have like, yeah, we appear at conferences and podcasts at events and that drives more links as well. So, yeah, but it's very natural. Okay, cool. Yeah, that seems to make make a lot of sense. I think the diminishing diminishing returns on links makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Cool. I mean, is there anything I haven't asked you that you think people need to know about SEO and content in general? No, I think we covered quite a lot in uh, just over half an hour. So yeah, it's been a pleasure. But if anyone has any questions, I'm always happy to discuss them on LinkedIn. 
I actually published an ebook about the content workflow that we implemented to scale from four to 40 posts a month. So it's called Content Operations, Price Price. Yeah. I'll link to that somewhere. Cool. cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've really gone, like, done a deep dive here. So thanks so much for, for sharing. Yeah, thank you, Ben. That's the end of the episode. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the time you invested in this episode. Um, a few next steps. Of course, we have the premium community where you can read this strategy. Basically, you can download it and keep it forever so you don't have to listen to this episode again or make notes. Um, also, come follow me on LinkedIn. I'm posting like lots of little extra bits and things around the podcast and, and things I've learned in SEO. So come follow me. And if you don't already, obviously subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the newsletter. Thank you.